To Stuck at Home with Cliff Dorfman and Jason Smith. It's Monday, June 8th. Here are your hosts, Jason Smith and Cliff Dorfman. Hey, huzzah! Happy huzzah. New Week. Huzzah, Cliff Dorfman at Cliff Jason Dorfman. Smith. Cliff Do you like Dorfman that? A- I like that. That's actually a smarter use of the bottom of our, our screen if you, um, if you can't uh, see us right now. Because uh, you're listening to the podcast sometime in the future, uh-huh. just know that Pat Cliff has changed his uh, his name from the bottom of the video screen yeah, from his name to Candles. Yes, now it's Twitter at Cliff Dorfman and Instagram at Cliff Dorfman eighty eight. Let me tell you, I put thought into. I, it is not usually what I do, branding myself and all that. My brain doesn't think this way, but mm-hmm. I, I don't like selling myself. It's not. It's, uh, but, you know, there's a certain obligation to do it and, you know, to monetize and whatever. That's all a hustle, right? So I was listening to it. It was inspired by, I hate to say it. Listen, I will never say about Joe Rogan anything except the fact that he buys Nazi art. Other than that, he is excellent. He is amazing at what he does. I, I don't personally like listening to him because I'm a Jew and he buys Nazi art. But, but I still do if I have to. And especially I listened to Pete's, our guest today, and that was a hell of a podcast three hours, went into a lot of stuff. And again, that's the thing you can't get anywhere but with Rogan. So it's like I'm so torn as a Jew, and yet I listen to the guy. I'm like, he's so fucking good. There's my first F for the day. Oh, and that's that's a new one. And so just so you are aware, I'm trying to make this more pot to YouTube friendly. And one of the recommendations is try to sp- save your swear words for later in the show because oh. then, then it's easier to market and advertise. Uh, Fantastic! I can do that. Let's just but, make another. Uh, now I got to the beginning, so we'll just start it over. Hey, Cliff Dorfman. <laughs> yeah. Hey, now, so it, I put thought into not writing Twitter and Insta. I thought that was just too much. I was like, if you don't know what the T and the I is, then you know. And then if you write twit, then it's just like you're a twit. I didn't feel right. like that, you know. And, and if yeah. I abbreviate Insta, but I don't abbreviate Twitter. Then it's like, what am, what am I, a hipster? I think it works perfect. Twit was an old, uh, just so you, you know, there, that's an, actually a podcast. There was a the, the This Week in Tech, and that was Twit. And so whenever I think of Twit, Twit TV, not Twitter, that, that's mm-hmm. all uh, an old, uh, you know, an old show. Uh, good show, but it's just about computers and fixing, making, making sure you have the best motherboard and all that, that fun stuff. Oh, and it was called Twit? Twit, yeah. This was Week in Tech. Or something? Oh, This, this Week in Tech. Anagram. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, no, no more though. It's a defunct. Um, I, he might. He he probably does some stuff. And named Leo Laporte. He's been around for a long time. I'm sure he's still doing some stuff. Yeah. I I, I just am trying to learn something, Jason. You know. Now you attack know. me, man. Don't I, me. I love the T. I love the I. I love the at Cliff Dorfman. <laughs> at Cliff Dorfman eighty eight. Um, it's just far too much time we spent talking about this. Okay, let's I, talk I about talk your about weekend. My, yeah. Let's talk about my weekend at Cliff yeah. Dorfman eighty eight. Um, <laughs> It's not going to end, is it? No, no. I, your mom just popped on, which I have Linda Hazelberry, and she says, hi, guys. You're on a road Oh, wait. Road trip? Reno? I thought the car was... So she says she's on a road trip to Reno? Is that oh, what yes, she said? The car she... got fixed. Um, so little quick little story about yeah. my mother. Let's tell them. My, my mom bought her first new car ever um, on my birthday, on the 28th of May. She bought her very first brand new car like not used, not leased, not. She bought her first brand new one. She's very excited. Pulls it into her work, um, you know, and goes in and comes out, and the side the the side of the back door had been hit. First day. It's just, and it's her first brand new car. First brand new car of her first whole life. New, her whole life, and so. Right. For a, for a brief moment, we uh, oh, and it sounds like she's in a rental now. So yeah. that's the end of the good. Story. That's um, the best but, way to take a road trip. Go on. Absolutely. Even if you have a car, take a rental. Um, mm-hmm. So what ended up times. happening was, uh, you know, at first she thought that maybe somebody had, had done a hit and run because she didn't see anything, but it was somebody from her work and they got a hold of her. And so it's all getting repaired. But it's, you know, she, that, fir- that first new car and she hasn't even got to drive it more than that one day. I mean, 
I've had that happen close, you know, in the sense that when I got my last car, mm-hmm. uh, three days into it, it was brand new. And I, I <laughs> just, boom, just like it gets hit. You know, so I, yeah. I have that, but not, it wasn't my first new car. And also mm-hmm. she was looking forward to like, this was exciting. And she's going to go on this road this trip. She was worried about going to Reno, um, going home to, to, for my nephew's graduation for her, her grandson. Um, but it sounds like she is able to do it. So I'm very happy for her. Worried for her. There's but, a way. But the upside right. of the story is that they did not hit and run, right? They did come back. Not someone at work. It sounds like she's getting it repaired. Plus, she's got a rental and she's making it up to Reno. Well, they so did the right thing. They did the right thing. So very, very cool. I like happy endings. It's call me, a, you know, a sentimentalist. Not just, nostalgic. Yeah, I, I like to. I'm glad that it all worked out. And I'm glad that she's able to go. And I'm a little bit like worried but uh everything's gonna be okay i just you know, I'm you're worried son. about her on a road trip i'm just worried about you know my mom's a very safe person but i'm just always worried about you know the covid19 stuff i'm still worried about her getting sick i don't want to get i don't want her to catch again that's my only big that's my biggest fear yeah that's uh you know listen we don't talk about much of that stuff on here ever except you know we, we don't want the spikes to go up and all that so i just hope you know we can find a balance between everything that's going on in the world and still maintaining some kind of safety because I got to tell I, you, you know how. What? Yeah. Oh, you just know how it is. It's when it's your mom. It's just a li- you're just like a little extra safe. You want to be oh, a little extra cautious. You know, hundred percent. Hundred percent. But meanwhile, she's gonna have a great time, and she's fine. Plus, plus, it sounds like she still has Wi-Fi. She's still able to listen to us while she drives. So that's good to know. By the way, that's kind of cool. And <laughs> she's commenting. So uh, yeah. you know, maybe she's not driving. I really hope that she's just uh, <laughs> Don't stop stop commenting when the <laughs> text I have it oh no don't don't okay so let's start let's start some stuff so we have a great guest so before we get to him do we we're not going to talk about any of the content no, stuff until after well, let's talk about the content stuff after but we can get started yeah, yeah. I, I mean I always am down to talk I love talking I just you know our guest is pretty great yeah no, I know I think we uh I, I we th- I think we bantered enough. We, we we spent all our banter time on Cliff Dorfman '88. Um, I thought we spent it all on your mom's road trip, but you know, yeah, you know, at Cliff, Cliff Dorfman '88. You're right. We did. Spend and you a lot did of time. just by the way, you did go to a protest this weekend with your daughter again, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The big one. Yes. Was that incredible? Yeah, I mean there there is some there's some amazing people coming out there. It's a lot lighter out there right now. There's a lot more of a, you know. Uh, joyous kind of it's not i want to call it celebration but it's lighter right. there's singing there's dancing there's still a lot of stuff going on it's also very heavy still don't get me wrong on that but there was a feeling of camaraderie there and closeness that has started to kind of appear after multiple ones of these yeah because the violence stopped and now it's peaceful protests that can actually you know enact some yeah. kind of change so people yeah. can feel that and yeah. they're not being bothered anymore by these morons who were looting you know, yeah. for, that had nothing to do with any of this, which, yeah. you know, again, not, you know, no politics, just that was a fact, right? There were people who weren't, they were just looting, right? There were people, there were definitely people that there that were just looting. There were definitely things that were going on, but. But not now. No, no, the, the, no, there, there's, it's, you know, there's, I'm not saying that it's clean and clear of everything and there weren't issues in tense positions, but it's definitely, it's definitely something, at least in LA, and, and, and again, it's, it's, it always makes me nervous about everywhere else. But here, there's mm-hmm. felt like there's a strong connection between everybody out there really, you know, focused on, you know, singularly focused on this goal. So it was great. I think that that's the best thing that could come from this. And then the next step is what it, what it enacts. So anyway, moving, moving forward. As always, let's. I want to do this thing I was thinking about today because, like, I always write an intro. Let's just talk about Pete a little, you and me. So, how did you first get to know Pete? Well, Dominic. Well, I met Pete today, um, about five minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But also, I've, I've, um, I actually heard him for the first time, you know, doing stand up, but also um, his his uh, show on Sirius when it was back on, I believe it was on POTUS back in the day. Uh, Stand up. Stand up. Right. Yeah. And he worked there for a long time, and now he's got his own podcast. And he, this podcast is not on our, not on Starbucks, no, right? No, 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 no. All right. So I mean, he was saying that a lot. He's been on Joe Rogan. This guy's a stand-up. He is uh, across the board, and he's become uh, a politician and and a pundit, and he's just an all-around 
smart, good, honest human being who's yeah. funny as hell. So I think we just bring him on and we have some good conversation and see what's going on. I love it. I love it. Yep. Let's, let's like more on Pete Dominic, everybody. Yeah, Pete Dominic, everybody, Ooh. ladies and gentlemen. What's, what's up, up boys? How you doing? Really enjoyed listening to the first part of the show. I, I learned a lot more about you both than the internet has to offer. Uh, <laughs> Cliff, I had no idea you were Jewish. Had I known, I never would have agreed to this. I, uh, that's what a lot of people say. You see, I fool everybody. It's uh, the veneer. I want to say hi to Mrs. Smith. Stay safe out there, Mrs. Smith. Also, I, I, I Jason's head is something that every every listener should be able to view at some point. It is a lovely masterpiece of art. His beard, his, everything about it, the way his head connects to his body. It's like I drew it. And <laughs> you can have I, the Bill O'Reilly show up there. It's, it's yeah. literally the large, it's a, it, there's not a bigger hat I can buy at a regular store. So if I go to a lids I, and I want a fitted hat, I get the eight. If, if it, if it, even if it doesn't fit, that's a, that's what I have to do. I have to get the eight. When you when you go to lids, they say, "Sir, I'm sorry, we're closed." Yeah. <laughs> if there was a we big store for hats, I'd have to go there. Um, Huge lids. I never really. Now I'm not going to be able to stop looking at it. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, I didn't really cool. notice how huge it was. Oh, his head has so much character because that the size of it, of course, but the the facial hair is just epic. He, you know, I, I can't. Stop it's like uh, he's he's in some kind of an old Mark Twain book or <laughs> uh, Corn cob pipe. white fang whoever that guy is jack london, jack london. Maybe. maybe either way yes it's fantastic his look is is great i also want to climb inside of him for some oh. reason like luke skywalker and like, it, on. i don't know what that's about i can't keep explore. warm i was thinking more like that little alien that lived inside the big guy in uh, uh men in black like i do my head just kind of open. yes but it's yes. different with you i feel like if i climbed it's like, like it's warm and secure there in your yeah. in your in your embrace i guarantee it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty warm and secure in there i'm not gonna lie i but now i can't stop looking at his head so you realize and that's the stand-up in you you see that's the thing you started right yeah. you start where, where are you from pete tell, tell i grew me. up i grew up in upstate new york and the cool thing about uh me being on the podcast today is it just so happens that i'm sitting in my can you hear that lawnmower i'm sitting in my parents bedroom in the You're house the only one who hears the lawnmower okay then it's just in my head my daughter's out there <laughs> mowing my parents lawn i'm in my parents house where i grew up from age eight to 18 and it's in upstate new york just outside syracuse oh, wow. marcellus new york on the finger lake it's beautiful up here i wish i could take you guys outside and show you around but it's it's rural and this is where i grew up and is that uh, near where clinton lives or has a place no no it's way, i'm way upstate Cliff, oh, okay. outside, uh, outside Syracuse, Clinton, they, they did come up here for a, a summer once for a, a little vacation at Skinny Atlas Lake. But the, uh, I came up here with my daughters, my wife and my, uh, we brought our daughters up here. They're 12 and 15. And this is the first time they have seen their grandparents since quarantine started because my dad wow. said, listen, yeah, it's possible you guys could get us sick, but I'd rather die than go another day without seeing my granddaughters. So we're up here visiting. We just got here yesterday, and this is the house I grew up in, and this is the house I came of age in and first found my penis in. Wow. Yeah, I'm saying, like, how do you feel being there? Like, are you in your room right now, like, that you grew up in? I'm in my I'm in my parents' bedroom, I, but my daughter sleeps in the room I grew up in, and uh, we sleep in my brother's room. My wife and I are – actually, I, I pretty much sleep on the couch because my wife has had me sleep in the same bed with her. But <laughs> – yeah, it's awesome. It's great to be here. It's magical. I mean, you know, people have identified with their childhood in different ways and in complex ways, of course. Mine was pretty simple. I had an awesome childhood. I grew right. up in the country in the 80s and 90s, and it was great. It was really amazing. And you guys were talking about uh, Jason's mom renting that car and, and a brand new or buying a brand new car and yep. damaging it within, you know, getting it hit within yeah. a day. I, the third day I had my license. Oh. I drove my car into a ditch. Okay, I beat you. I, you I'm gonna beat you. What do you got? Uh, the, the wasn't it like, like the the fourth day or within the fifth to sixth day. I'm not sure which one that I got my first car, which is a blue powder blue Buick like LeSabre two door that my oh, grandma Sylvia gave me. Reliant. Okay, so you know. So I was in Milneck visiting a buddy, and there are these roads like this. They go all the way down to Milneck near Oyster Bay, and they're just twisty, turny. Like you've been to LA, so like Coldwater Canyon. Yep. 
just rainy and just the car, the Buick was like, nope. And it skidded like halfway down this mill neck road until I finally landed in a tree. Broke oh, a rib. No. Yeah. The whole car was done. Oh dear. Yeah. I it's drove, like finished. I had this, my dad bought me this car for $900 at an auction in like 1991. Oh, I and that. it was a Plymouth Reliant K car. It had no radio. So the, the day I got my license, I put a, like a, we used to call them box radio in there so I could listen to music. Mm-hmm. And I, I reached and I had it on the, on the, on the floor of the passenger oh, side and I reached down there to turn the channel, whatever I was doing. And I just take my eyes off the road for a good, I don't know, four minutes. <laughs> is what it's I drive into a ditch. I'm up on two wheels, like Dukes of Hazard minus the racism. And I pull out. <laughs> Of the ditch. I mean, I didn't have a Confederate flag on it. And and I, I I get out of the car and I look at it and it's totally fine, guys. Totally fine from the front and the and driver's side, not a scratch. I go over to the passenger side, completely totaled. The two oh, passenger doors were just crushed. for the rest of my high school career. It was so great that I had my own car, but nobody wanted to ride with me because you have to slide in the driver's side. Oh, you never got it fixed. You had to just drive around with that. Well, hell no, it was a $900 car. We weren't, we weren't getting that body damage. I just drove around in that mofo, just bad, just totaled on the whole right side. And it never gave up that car. It was uh, lasting me all the way through high school. It was awesome. Did you have a girlfriend during high school? Um, I did, but my uh-huh. prom date had a slide in the passenger side. So you took your prom date in the Plymouth Reliant K? Well, my dad, who to this day still has two Corvettes, said... I could drive the Corvette to the prom. And then he took it off the table like a week before prom. And I had Why? A- What'd you do? Nothing. He just, he just didn't. He was like, you know what? Forget it. You can't drive it. I'm scared. I'm nervous. You're terrible. I blame him. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So my prom date had a slide in in her flout, floral print awful dress. <laughs> does, she, does he let you drive the vet now? Yeah, he does. He'll let me drive it now. Now I'm good. My dad, yeah, my dad's a uh, really in the cars and is a, a driving instructor. Back in, in October, my dad, I lost my dream job of 14 years. My dad had a heart attack within two weeks. It was like the most brutal time of my life. I've had a pretty good life, to be fair. My dad's a very masculine guy. He's a ski instructor, right? A race car instructor. Yeah. Like This guy's a, a man's man. Uh, he absolutely is. My dad right. is, uh, yep, he's he's. Uh, a uh, competitive cyclist, which I guess is the most feminine thing of his life because he has to shave his body. But that's a pretty tough thing to do. He's been riding bikes for over 20 years. And, yeah, he's a driving instructor. He teaches, like, rich guys in their Porsches and BMWs to, to drive on the track. And he's been a ski instructor my entire life. He, he broke his leg last February. At, he's been teaching skiing 44 years. And then in October, he had a heart attack. And then after his heart attack, two weeks later, because the meds were thin in his blood, he uh-huh. fell on his eye and and destroyed his eye. So he he lost his eye. He was blind out of his left eye. And nothing will stop this dude, though. Nothing. He's amazing. He's a man of steel. And my stand-up special that I taped in November, I brought my mom and dad on stage and raised their hands up on stage because I, I taped it in my hometown here in Syracuse. And I brought them both up on stage and honored them at the end of at the end of the taping because my parents are awesome. Well, you see, that's beautiful. Mine are too. I get it. I, I had a wonderful childhood as well, and I just don't. You know, the only problems I had, I made for myself. To be quite honest, hmm. so it's like you know, I made them. You know, I was like, oh, you this sure has to be bad. You don't mind your parents at all. My parents are great. I can't really say anything bad about them. I mean, I'm very, very blessed. You know, but it's like, again, you look at it and you see like, okay, well, you're back home now, right? And you're in this place where it's a small town for all intents and purposes. How do you get, obviously you're funny, but how do you get to go from where you're at to, to you know, even being recognized at all anywhere? Well, I, I knew I wanted to get out of here. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was very, you know, it was a monoculture. Everybody was the same, same music, same religion, same color. You know, there's very little diversity. And, and I knew I wanted to, to experience Bright Lights, Big City. I knew I wanted to pursue a career in show business. I knew I was funny. I was the class clown in high school, did the morning announcements. I hosted the talent shows. I was an athlete as well, but I knew I wanted, you know, I wasn't going pro in anything. But you would do a stand-up at the uh, talent show? Like yeah, high I hosted the talent show doing an impression of Dana Carvey's impressions. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I told Dana Carvey that a few years ago. Isn't it nice you get to meet him, though? It's like a long way, right? So yeah. when you're on stage as a high schooler doing the Dana Carvey impression, you ever visualize that you're going to talk to Dana Carvey and work with him and tell him that you did this? Uh, um. That's a great question. I don't know, but I want to think that I, I, I did. I want to think that I, 
I always thought I would meet all of my heroes and all of my crushes and host a show at Sirius XM every day, five days a week, you know, national show for 14 years. I met every celebrity you could imagine. And more mm-hmm. you know, kind of uh, interestingly enough, I met all of the the girls, all of the women that I grew up crushing on, like on TV, like Alyssa Milano, uh, who's the boss, and Danica uh from the Wonder Years, who played yes. Wayne Cooper and Jewel and Elizabeth Shue and and Christy Brinkley. Like met Elizabeth Shue. She's I, amazing. Yeah, she's really nice. All those women that I that I you know grew up uh, fantasizing about. If I'm going to be honest, you oh, know, I was I, thinking I, the same I, thing. And right, so you meet him. I, I met him on a different place. I met him when I was working the door at the whiskey bar. So there I didn't see there the whole go. other side of it. I'm like, you know what? I quit. I don't want to meet my heroes. I just want to be an artist. I don't yeah. want to do this. Let me let me figure out another way to get a job. I I don't know. It's a great question, but I always did assume that I would meet all these all these. Now forget about these women. I'm, I mean, they're all yeah, talented. I mean, meeting all my my comedian heroes. Uh, was obviously the best thing, and then and you know interviewing them and be able to dance with them on air—that's the greatest. You know Bob Saget, Norm Macdonald, Artie Lang, and David Spade. I mean all these guys that I grew up watching. I mean I hung out with a lot of them at the comedy clubs growing up, but th- those that I didn't that were way ahead of me in terms of age and and as comedians we, we look at it like you were you were a year ahead of me or you were a year behind me. We kind of look at it generationally. Those guys were ahead of me. But, you know, I grew up idolizing them and being inspired by them. So being able to interview them and have them on my show and, and kind of, like I said, I call it dance with them was, mm-hmm. was marvelous. And I've got a billion stories about meeting all these all these show business heroes. But, you know, my career and my show took a different, you know, uh, took a real change away from entertainment and more into public interest and, you know, just important issues. And so now my heroes are like policy experts and journalists and academics and, and nonprofit leaders and, and getting to meet and interview all these folks is really super rewarding, satisfying and, and challenging too. Well, it's interesting. So, so let's back up a second because I, I find it kind of fascinating. You're still, you're in a place, where's the first place you go to do stand up? And, and all, okay, let's just answer that question. Like, where's the first place you hit where you're like, I'm going to go, you forget about the PA announcements or all that, where you're like, I'm going to go try to do this. The first thing, the first time I ever did like a straight stand-up set was at a college talent show mm-hmm. where in college I was in like a black fraternity mm-hmm. and it was like the only white guy. And wow. I did my set for these black guys. Like I did material. Oh, did they laugh? So they laughed because they're, mm-hmm. they're the hardest there audience. So 20 black guys in the back is very, uh, it was a, kind of an agricultural school. There wasn't much diversity. There's a lot more than where I grew up, but like 20 black guys in the back just dying and everybody else just staring at me. So you knew you had something. You're like, but, all yeah, right, I'm funny. Those guys, those guys <laughs> gave me a whole different kind of sense of humor than the, than the, the, the sense of humor I grew up with. Which is, to, you know, the white sense of humor and the black sense of humor and the British sense of humor. I mean, there's mm-hmm. you know, Jewish sense of humor. I mean, there's 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 different flavors to it. I don't want to generalize, but obviously there's different flavors and ideas uh, to yes. it all. But yeah, so those guys really taught me a lot about humor. So college was the first time, and then, but then I moved to New York City to to study acting for just because I thought I needed to finish my my degree. Oh, you studied I, in Manhattan? Yeah, I went to the, the American Musical and Dramatic Academy for two years, which was yeah. like. A bullshit scam in my yeah, opinion. Like twenty thousand a year, and then they have to ask you back for the second year, right? Is that it? Not even. I mean, not even. Oh, you just have to cheaper pay. than that. It wasn't accredited when I went there. I think now it is. But, but, yeah. um, but I knew I wanted to do stand up, and I and I did stand up as soon as I got to New York City in in July fifth, nineteen ninety five. Is the first time I walked on a, a comedy club stage in New York City. I, Eddie Murphy started when I was eighteen, and so I wanted to start it when I was eighteen. I didn't have Eddie Murphy's talent, but I did. I did do my first stand-up set in New York City when I was eighteen. So we're yeah. just about at your twenty-five year anniversary. Uh, yeah, close to yeah, it. July seventh, right? That's yeah, what you that's, said. That's good so, yeah. yeah. All right. So you're doing this. So you put yourself. You inserted yourself into the middle of the argument. What I what I always find so great about stand-up that is not apparent in any other part of our business is that there's a real uh, fraternal thing. Doesn't matter where you are. Yeah, if you're a stand-up, yeah, you guys. Now, yeah, there's a certain amount of combat that you have to engage in be- before you can call yourself a veteran. But yeah, yeah, and it doesn't matter where you guys go. It's like if there's another stand up there, you guys find each other at the that's end right. of the bar, and right. That's so you have this right. thing. 
So now when you build this up, right, and you build this whole real career up being a stand-up, it takes a big turn. I mean, it's not like saying, okay, uh, I'm going to be a stand-up and now I'm going to be a, a Comedy Central host. Uh, you know, it's like, now you're going to do political issues and you're going to talk right. about, uh, you know, stock stuff. And, and we like, how does this, how does this happen? Uh, well, after September 11th, Mm-hmm. I was about six years into doing comedy, I think, and I, I, you know, I was in the New York City that day, and I knew people who died, and it really shocked m- me the way it it shocked everybody, and and I guess it, a lot of people, you know, change the trajectory of their life as a result of that those events, and yes. and I was no exception to that, and I and I felt like I wanted to do more than just make people laugh, a and b. I was doing it already, and I had a a certain amount of success, but that was the first inkling I had where I was like, I want, I, I care about the world and I want to learn about the way the world works and, and learn about why we were attacked and learn about terrorism and national security and foreign policy. And so I started reading and learning. My brother was always an activist and a journalist. So he was always a, my older brother an inspiration for me. But then after Cliff, after my daughter was born, my first daughter, that was it for me in terms of I, I knew I didn't want to stop doing comedy, but I, I knew I didn't want to just do comedy. I wanted to be something more as a role model. A and B, I just didn't want to be on the road. At that point, my daughter was born in right. 2005. My first daughter, I have two. Uh, I I was doing, I was headlining a comedy club in El Paso, Texas, and that was great because I was headlining yeah. a comedy club, and it was you know it wasn't the, That's the a big accomplishment. That's a big accomplishment from nothing. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. saying it. It's 10 years to become a headliner, at least for most people. Yeah. And so that was always my goal. Bill Burr was a good buddy of mine growing up. And I remember him telling me, you know, the only thing I ever wanted was to have a body of work. And that made sense to me mm-hmm. to have a body of work, just to do as much stand up as you can and to pump out as much material and albums and so on. And so when my daughter was first born, I decided I just I didn't want to be on the road anymore, which means you can't, you know, you, you're limiting yourself to some extent. So I never monetarily got, as well, you know, yeah, you're yeah, really sure. But how can I make a living doing comedy and not have to travel? That's when I got into audience warm up and then radio, and then that led to TV. And uh, yeah, the audience warm up thing is a big, you know, it's like you're a, a fluffer for the best, you know, uh, sh- the biggest show. So you're seeing an audience who really doesn't know you at all every time, and you have to make them friendly, which yeah. I think is the biggest, like, how do you overcome that every day? It's just, it's a, it was a challenge every night, but I started doing audience warm up on the shittiest shows that no one had ever heard of where I really oh, wow. earned it, you know, where you'd, I'd look at the audience like, what brought you in here? And the guy would be like, heat. Uh, where are you from? Outside. What do you mean? I live outside. Yeah. yeah outside that the show. Theater. Nobody had heard of this show. So they were, you know, dragging homeless people in and I had to make them laugh. I mean, yeah. I, and I did that on so many terrible shows, but that all that it's like work, comedy special forces. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, but that all led to uh, eventually the the I think the cream of the crop or the you know the pearl the the, get to the work with Colbert, know, which I was mean, the Colbert Report and the Daily Show. I got hired by John Stewart of the Daily Show, and then the Colbert Report spun off, and they stole me. And I went and worked with Stephen Colbert for six years, and that. And you're working closely with them, right? Like this is not just yeah. you're warming up the audience. Are you working close? Are you learning? Are you seeing? Not really, like, because I was okay. he, not really because I was really good at the job, so I was kind of like operated. You know, nobody ever had to say anything to me, and Come I wouldn't go out in the show prep or anything like that. But but it was an amazing experience, and it was really good money, and allowed me to stay in town and do do comedy in in New York City at the clubs. Right. Do warm up every night at Colbert. And then that led to the Montreal Comedy Festival. And that led to Sirius XM, which led to CNN and MSNBC. And then uh, after 14 years of Sirius XM in October, uh, they killed my channel and my contract with it. And my whole entire life came crashing down. Yeah, but it actually was for the best. And we're going to get there in a second because it's, it, it again, it, it blows my mind, you know. But, but I think they're, and I, I have to agree with what Rogan said, I think they're a dying, you know, they're going the way of direct TV. It's not, you know, blockbuster video. This is where they're, you know, and I don't say that because I like you. I say that because I really do think that's what's happening. And I think that's why you're seeing these cuts. But let's let's go back for a second. Tell that to my, tell that to my dad, who I'm, um, I'm here visiting, who, you know, SiriusXM canceled me and he didn't cancel SiriusXM. I got in the car and I, was, I get in the Corvette. I was like, you still got SiriusXM? And he just, looked at me, he just looked at me sheepishly. He's like, I like it for the sports. <laughs> they, they fired me like a dog pop. <laughs> I, I like he has a jet feed. 
whoever gets the licensing for the sports, that's who puts Sirius and DirecTV out of business. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's true. I mean, that, that, but I have, but I, I, I'm joking. Like, I have no hard feelings about Sirius. No, I know you don't. I, I, I've listened to you a lot. Career, so. Well, okay, well, here's what I thought was interesting because you said at two uh, at um, uh, nine eleven, uh, you change this trajectory and you start wanting to do something else. You end up working on these politically based shows for John Stewart and Stephen yeah. Colbert. So, and then that launches you. And so you really did. And I think it's interesting. How old were you at that time? At, at uh, if you don't mind me asking, two thousand forty-five. Yeah. Was, okay. So now and now I'm seventy, but I look. Well, the point I was trying to make is you could change your career path at any time and still make it successful. Yeah, that's I really appreciate, you know, if that's your observation, you know, I, I'm, I'm like a, a chameleon or a survivor or an adapter. Renaissance, man. Well, maybe that? that that could be the highest comp in the Go world. With that one. I can't play music or fly a plane. I don't have that many talents. But within my kind of chosen career, you know, put me near a microphone or a camera or an audience and let's go. Right. And you get to do this now. So you start on POTUS, right, with with your stand-up show. I actually started before that. I mean, it's kind of boring. But Sirius and XM were individual companies. They were competing. And, and I was with Sirius. And then they merged. And then I became on – and then I went on the POTUS channel. And, yeah, so it was all politics. And I got involved, like, heavily. CNN hired me almost right away. And, hmm. and I, I covered the Obama-Romney election and, you know, at every debate. And I was very inside what, what I call political media – for a few years because I was on that channel, which was all politics. And then I opening. It was, it was, it was an amazing experience though. I mean, I interviewed, you know, so many members of Congress and candidates for office. And I, I understand kind of the wonky details of policy. And I, and I loved it. I live for that. And there's a big audience obviously for that, but we were more about kind of policy and, 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 and details of the issues that affected you, legal issues and, and financial issues and foreign policy and environmental issues than we were about, you know, uh, fire-breathing divisiveness the way you think of like mm-hmm. a Hannity or most political media, most political radio, of course, is very, very opinionated. But that channel was was really supposed to be objective and middle of the ground. And, and you know, it was, it was hard for me to be that way because I'm such a, a hardcore lefty. But I did my best to, to prevent the, the most fair-minded you know, segments as I could. And, and people really appreciated that. And it was a great run I had on that channel. Yeah. You were over a decade at the same place, which let's face it in show business, you know, that's about as long as you get. I mean, the fact that you got over that uh, uh, friends runs 10 years, you know, Seinfeld runs 10 years, how long you got in the tank. And that was a perfect time for the universe to say, all right, you know what? You've been doing this a while. What do you want to do next? And you you get into this space that I decided I wanted to get into. That's where I see the similarity, too, because I was writing, writing. I was like, I like this space. I like how you can talk about content and how no one's censoring. And it's like feels like a new frontier. What were you feeling? Because what are you going to do? You have to hustle. So this ends. We all have to hustle. So mm-hmm. now they let you go. Yep. Yep. They let me go. And they were kind enough to give me the rest of my contract and a few months severance, which was a, a major game changer because it meant, you know, I could, I could build something. And right away, I actually, uh, about a week after they let me go, I was about to pour myself an afternoon whiskey, which is something I'd never done in my life. But I was so depressed. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll start drinking heavily. That'll Day be drinking. That's a good thing. I'd never done that. And I was like, why not? I, took that plan. I, I was still in the kind of like, I think feeling bad for myself uh, mm-hmm. and people were publicly mourning it. And, you know, I mean, I had, you know, over the years, thousands and thousands of people that listen to that show every day. And all of a sudden it's just gone overnight. So it was, it was a very, very both. It was difficult, but it was also the most rewarding experience I have ever had. And in a way will ever have, because people were talking about what it meant to them and how it changed their life. That sh- that show I did for 12 years, 14 years in total at Sirius. So it was an interesting time in my life to kind of reflect and, and what I've done and what I was going to do. And in media, there aren't really jobs. Once you you know lose your job in corporate media at CNN or, or the New York Times or you know the Atlantic or Sirius XM, there isn't another job for an on-air host. That's it. You oh, is that create, true? I think so. I mean, very rarely. If you can name someone who's on one network, one company, and went to another, there's maybe a few. But yeah. I mean – who have you seen leave any of the networks, newspapers, yeah. magazines, and get another gig? A lot of people are now creating their own thing on right. Substack or on Patreon. And it's really, you know, I wanted to test out 
to see if I could do that. And I, you know, it was, it was the most challenging thing I'd ever done professionally, but I knew I had to try to do a podcast. I knew I couldn't let this community of, of, of this audience and community right. of amazing, curious, thoughtful, hilarious people just die. And so I was, I've been really surprised to see, you know, the fact that, you know, hundreds of people have, have, you know, paid for subscriptions, almost 600 subscriptions. And that's, amazing. you know, in just five months. So, and on Patreon, Yep, they keep and they keep signing up and it's been it's been amazing. It's been an amazing experience and a lot of people say what I'm doing now is even better and 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 but it was it was for free. Hell. I mean free for you creatively. You can wake up and you can yeah. grind and you can come up with your content and you can say, "You know what? Let's try this today." Yeah. And no one's going, "Well, Gillette doesn't really like when you try that." Yeah, and to be fair, Sirius XM, I mean, I had a tremendous amount of autonomy there and and very little well, you did. Yeah, I really did. Very little interference and censorship um, in the latter parts of my contract there. But it, yeah, it definitely, it wasn't my own thing. And it's scary to go out on your own, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what you're doing, and start start your own thing. And But, uh, but I've, I, I've, I've just been hammering. I mean, from the point I lost the job, it went right, right into it. But I was going to say, I forgot, I was thinking as I was day drinking there, I could get an email from my congresswoman who announces after 75,000 years in Congress, she's decided to resign. She's 800 years old. And I say, well, holy shit, that's a sign. I'm so running in the back of your head. You want to run for office? Yeah, I was like, I want, I want, thinking, I want to do this. Yep. And for two weeks, I, I talked to everybody in my circle in the Cuomo's like um, uh, Chris Cuomo's a friend of mine. I called him up. He's like, go for it. I'll help you. Really? And you know, well, you know, he'll put me in touch with people and so yeah, on. So it's a good do guy it. to have help you. And then I saw who was, who else had announced. And I was like, I'm good. No, thank you. There's like a black gay Harvard educated lawyer named Mondaire Jones. who and, let him have it. Let, You win. Yeah, no, you got it. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm and not doing that. Very magnanimous thing of me to do, of course. Yeah. For him. <laughs> and all the other <laughs> We all thank you. Yeah, no, but I mean, I th so I thought about running for Congress. And I, went, I did I did a Rogan show and that helped me launch my podcast and a bunch of yep. other things. And so but you said you thought about running for Congress and there was something that we're not, you know, you're glossing over a little. And I don't know if you have gotten a second source on it because you found something out that really made you not want to run for Congress. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you ever get a second source? Um, I never got a second source. I've got sources debunking that that uh, thing I'd been told. But, yeah, I had. I basically, I, I knew, I know a lot of people in politics and including, of course, local politics where I live. And I, I talked to one guy who told me that you had to pay off a certain constituency of people. Uh, special or interest group or whatever? A, a, a special religious group. And if anybody lives in Rockland County, you know, I just, I'm very careful to talk about it because there's enough hate in the world towards, you know, uh, religious groups. So, so, yeah, it was, and I never did get a second source, but I was told that, you know, the, the like before I even announced that I was running for Congress, there were compromises that I was uncomfortable with having to make, and I'm not sure if it's true or not. Right. But you know that that's my brother told me, who's my my conscience and my my mentor. He said you can't run, you can't be in Congress because you can't lie. So you look up to your brother. What's your brother's name? My brother's name is Brian. Brian Dominic. Yeah, he's a and journalist, he's a journalist activist. Yeah, I mean now he's doing. He's not doing it anymore. I mean he 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 paid his dues. My brother was an activist and a radical. My brother was like Antifa before there was Antifa. I mean my brother's a left wing, hardcore anarchist, and he launched his own independent journalism outfit. You know before you could do that and. Okay. Uh, he, he's an amazing, amazing dude, my brother, and he's my well, mom. This makes a little more sense, though, where your drive, you know, it's it, it's filtering down. It's not, you know, it didn't appear out of nowhere. This comes from your upbringing and having your older brother, and, and you know, you, you, now you move towards this more serious stuff, and now you end up, oh, by the way, Sirius built your studio, didn't they? They did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, did I, you get to keep that and use it I for your did. podcast? I got to keep all of it, all the, but, everything. Yeah, it's, everything it's, about it was good, right? There's nothing bad. You got 12 years. Now you got your own show. It's and you know hard. what? I, I love I love what you're saying. And it makes me want to just keep talking to you because you're making me feel really you're a very positive guy. And, 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 and you're you. being very thoughtful to me. And I appreciate that. But it's. It was hard, man. It was hard. Well, Losing that loyalty is a hard thing. Pete. You know, when you're loyal to somebody and you're a good person and you figure if I do the work, everything good comes out of the work. Right. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that, but yeah, you know, I, I never thought loyalty was a an idea 
that existed in corporate media. It's not like I worked for the hardware store in town for 20 years. You know, it was corporate oh. media. I wasn't surprised when new people came in and they wanted to make programming changes. Um, and so it's not about Series XM. It's not about corporate media. It's about the fact that I created an audience of thousands and thousands of people that you, listened to me for years that I connected with. And now... But you had all, no ownership over it. I had no ownership over, over those it. fans. That's right. They own those fans. They own that feed. Yep. yep. But when I went off on my own, so many of them came with me, man. And Did and they find you. Yep. And and I didn't take a break. And I, you know, I, I can. I have daughters. They're 12 and 15. I couldn't let them see me, you know. I mean, I was really depressed. I'd never dealt with depression in my life. I'd never dealt with anxiety in my life. And I experienced them both to, uh, in, a, in an intimate way that I that I'd only heard about. I had a pretty good life, but I never dealt with that. You know, my my you know body's called. It's called conditional depression. Yeah, I think so. I think that, yeah, a circumstantial. Yep. Um, it and was, you have it because of what's happened. Yep. And but how do you pull well, yourself out? You never dealt with it. I pulled myself out by opening myself up. I told the world what had happened into a microphone, onto television cameras, and then I wrote a, a piece. And uh, I wrote a piece for Katie Couric's media outlet, and it was called Losing My Job Saved My Marriage. Hmm. And that's the Can truth. Can you still find that online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason, will you put that up uh, when you have a second? Uh, that would be a real interesting read. I want to read that. Yeah, that's that was my – so my wife has dealt with a, a tremendous – every type of adversity you can imagine growing up, hmm. and and I hadn't. So when I experienced it, she came to save me to tell me every day how to deal with it and, and give me some perspective on it. And I began to appreciate her in a way that I hadn't for the first 18 years of our marriage. You didn't you know, know her reserve tank. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I think everything for me and for a lot of people, especially in, this, in the entertainment business, is about ego. And I read uh, Ryan Halliday's Ego is the Enemy, and he also wrote a, a couple of books, another one called Stillness is the Key. I began mm -hmm. to get really religious about my meditation practice. I wrote in a journal every day. But most importantly, you know, complete, you know, people who had been listening to my show for years lifted me up. And then yeah. I reached out to my network of people, and I said, listen, I need help. I've been helping people my whole career. I've been mentoring young people and, 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 and you know, different groups of people my entire life. And it was the thing I was most proud of. And, you know, people always kind of say, you know, what, you know especially younger comedians that nobody, mm -hmm. nobody ever helps. Nobody wanted to help me. Oh, what right. can I do for you? And I'd always say, Oh, pay it forward. You'll get the opportunity, pay it forward. And all I never thought I would be in that position that I was in losing my job. And when I was, I realized, Oh man, I, I need help now. And this guy, Tom Shadiak, who you might be familiar with, he's yeah, just, you right. know, a screenwriter. Yeah, he's the man show, right? Is that the from uh, 97.1 or something? But he was no, 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 no. Uh, Tom Shadiak directed. Uh, oh, Tom Shadiak. Yep. Yes. Uh, uh, he gave Street. everything up? He, yeah, the guy who gave everything up. Bike accident. I saw the documentary. Yep. I Am is his documentary and yes. Life Instruction Manual is a great book. And he's a friend of mine. And the other celebrity name drop I'll mention who also saved me who's a friend of mine is Peter Coyote, the actor and voiceover artist of One the best. So he's a Buddhist priest and both these guys, including, you know, my close network of friends, my wife, uh, my friend, Van Jones, uh, who is an amazing guy, Van Jones, who was like uh, destroyed by Glenn Beck when he was working in the Obama administration. Uh, and I ran into Van Jones on the streets in New York and his lowest wow. point. And then he came to help me at my lowest point. Like these guys all came cliff and like, they they helped me. I'm gonna get emotional, but they all like, and I think about what I'm they did. Get emotional because it's human currency. Yeah, man, what they did and what they said to me, and when and the way that they taught me to to understand this adversity that I'd luckily, you know, had a pretty privileged life, and I just not experienced that. My wife taught me how to deal with it, not experience it. I mean, I was I was my anxiety got so bad that my whole body would shake. I was like, do I have MS, Parkinson's, AIDS, cancer? Do I have them all at once? I think I have them yeah, all. Just a full cocktail. And I went to like a neurologist and it's like, you have nothing. You have perfectly healthy shape. And well, that's what like, started me. Go on, go on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna well, to, I really got back into, I was a personal trainer for years when I started out as a comedian, but I got back into to exercise and, and um, I'm in the best shape of my life now. You're in fighting shape. I wouldn't say I'm in fighting shape. I mean, I, <laughs> I do boxing for fitness. I mean, I'm in Thai bow shape. Oh, hey, listen, by the way, that's a good shape. <laughs> 44, like, you know, less than 10% body fat, you know, resting heart rate, 
You have less yeah. than 10% body fat? Ripped, dude. I would take my shirt off right now. Oh, I'm so jealous. It's less Never. than 10%. What are you drinking there? Beer? I don't eat breakfast. I'm drinking nothing but light beer. Light drink, beer. Uh, this is... Uh, do this it. Is, yeah. Jason says, do it. Take your shirt off. Be Bert. What is it? Bert Kreischer? He takes it. Be the antithesis of Bert Kreischer. Bert Kreischer. We're a high class show here. Okay, wait. So, <laughs> I feel like there were four things you said that I wanted to comment on. But you commented on uh, when, when Tom and all these people came to you, right? And it's very interesting to me also because the, all that Tom Shadyak stuff, so it's not bullshit. He actually really changed his life. Oh, it's no. Not- yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Shadyak is uh, a bright light that, that can burn through anything. That dude, he said to me, at one point he said to me, listen, man. He goes, worst case scenario will save you. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, your friends. We just won't let you fail. We will never get to where you are imagining you'll get to because we won't let you. He was basically saying like somehow he would save me. And and, and he He gave you a safety net. He knew that he would never need to save me, which allowed him to say that. But it gave me a sense of security to know that that this guy with his intellect, reputation and experience would say such a thing to to me made me feel secure in a way that I needed to feel at that time. All right. Well, I'm going to point something out to you. It, he didn't say it because he knew that he wouldn't have to do it. He said it because he would have done it. And that yeah, yeah, would be great for you to accept. You're, so, you're right. You're right. He would have done it. He, he's done it for, for yeah. a lot more people than me. Yeah. And just saying it gave you the confidence. It's like it's like if my mom told me, oh, I'm a, you're, you're going to have that money on Tuesday. Right. Yeah. And I go, OK, I don't have to think again, even though it's Friday. I know that worry is removed. Right. It's right. the same thing. Well, you, maybe you weren't aware of it at the time. But what you said was so interesting. And that's what I was going to interject on earlier, which is you talked about being in that place and your wife pulling you out. But it, it's that kind of, of of pain. And that's what started me on my evolution was how does uh, there's nothing physically wrong with me. You went to the doctor, you went to the neurologist. There's nothing. How am I feeling physical pain? in my body right. from things I'm thinking. Yeah. And then that started me looking at my subconscious and how to reprogram it and neurotransmitters and I was off to the races. But it starts with that pain. So when you come out of that and you fixed it, now you have a show, you have a brand new show that people love. Why don't you tell me a little about that now? Cause it like really feels like oh, a salvation. So, you know, I, I have this weird imposter syndrome that I don't deserve the success that I've had in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, kind of always like I've had such an amazing career uh, since I started in kind of political media, especially. And even before that, as a comedian, like the things that I got to do as a comedian, the comedians I got to work with and become friends with, you know, I'll always have all of that. But the political media stuff started with Sirius XM and CNN and MSNBC and, you know, the TV and going to the conventions and, and, and interviewing all these amazing people. Uh, I created a relationship and initiative with the Aspen Ideas Fest where I got to be a speaker for seven years in a row. This is the first summer I won't be in Aspen, which is fine. But it was all an ama- just such amazing experiences. But I still feel like I don't deserve it or I'm not good enough. And so all people that are like paying for the show now, they say things to me every day about how good it is. And I, just, I still have a kind of a hard time believing it. But the truth is the show is simple. My show has always been fairly simple. The idea, which is right. I'm going to talk about all these complex, difficult, challenging issues, but with people who know about them with mm-hmm. actual experts, headphones are coming out, sorry. And I'm going to, and I'm going to – because the idea that one person, Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, Bill O'Reilly, whoever it is, you know, knows the answer to these things is, 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 is a canard. You, you've, been, you've been led astray. It's just en- entertainment and infotainment. And they're good at, at being divisive and scaring you. And I thought, well, what's the you – know, is there a way? Is there another way? And having worked on The Daily Show and The Colbert Report – Thinking about the interview segment of those shows, they would always have these – a lot of times they were just academics or journalists or historians, sometimes mm-hmm. politicians. I mean I worked on the Colbert Report when he, had, when he had Michelle Obama and Barack Obama on it and all these other people. And I love to watch those interviews and, and learn from those policy experts. And so to me, what became interesting and lucrative was, was interviewing experts. And, and, and then creating actually personal relationships with the point that they would become so comfortable with me, they would be able to have a conversation where they'd be able to talk in a way about policies that bored people. 
tax policy, trade policy, health policy. These things, right. these ideas were boring to people, which is why Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity were so good at talking about them. They made them very simple to understand. Controversial also, though. They would say things that would incite you. Yeah, it's a government yeah. take from health care and things like that. You're like, no, it's so I just decided that my show would be me interviewing experts. I got to do that at SiriusXM, three, four people a day. Right. From academia, from from policymaking, actual legislators. And, you know, we interviewed a lot of celebrities and stuff, too. But I always made them talk about the issues that they cared about. That's what the interviews were about. And all of those people like doing the show, Cliff. They like doing my show. So when it yeah. stopped at SiriusXM, it didn't stop for them. They're like, I still want to do your show. Where are you going? I'll, right. I'll do your show wherever you go. I love talking to you. You ask smart questions. You say interesting things to keep the conversation going. And you're so, also open. That's another well, thing. You're open to hearing another side. You're not I'm looking not to honest, jump and argue. For most stuff. I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not going to challenge a climate scientist. I don't, I'm not, I, I don't <laughs> know. I don't conduct science. I, I'm not going to, you know, I, there's, there's a guy named Peter Hotez. He makes vaccines for a living. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell me. Yeah. Just tell me what you have to say. The, the show has always been referred to as a classroom. And so that's what the podcast is every day. At least uh, almost every day. It's two. Sometimes it's three people. Tomorrow shows three different people. And you know, they, they really know what they're talking about. And that's what we have on tomorrow. That's my you podcast. Know? I have Bruce Bartlett, who is mm -hmm. a former Republican kind of uh, a tax policy expert who uh, like basically turned on the Republican Party about five years ago during the Bush administration after Iraq, and and he is a great writer and he's always great on the air and he's a pol he knows so much about history about tax policy about financial policy yeah about media about race even so he's he's on with me also Tim Wise who is one of the most articulate uh, and amazing anti racist people in the country and he's been Tim doing Wise. this for a really long time Tim Wise. And then uh, another guy named um, Joe Sandberg, is it, who is a, a very successful businessman and entrepreneur who's advocating for a $25 minimum wage um, as a result of the pandemic specifically. And so, you know, we're talking about economics, we're talking about politics, we're talking about racism, and three great guests who know what the hell they're talking about, and me just setting them up and asking them the questions. That's what tomorrow's show is. And um, I yesterday that. I talked to a public defender from New Orleans and, and an oh, academic yeah, really? from Really? Yep. Public defender from New Orleans. I, I, that's yesterday's show. I have to listen to that. That's, Dude, that's I, mean, look, I interviewed the most fascinating people in my life, and that is my career, interviewing fascinating people. I've interviewed John Lewis. I've interviewed former a guy who was in prison for murder for 18 years. I've interviewed a woman uh, whose entire family was killed in the Rwandan genocide. Cliff, her whole family, nine siblings and her parents, all of them were murdered but her. I have interviewed, uh, you know, activists I, who fought for the right. Yeah, so getting to interview them. But when you go there and you interview her, right, that, the difference is you feel it. Now you're aware and awakened to that energy. Yes, well said. Yeah, and, and now that becomes a part of the next thing you do. Yep. So, and, and that's why I bring this up for a reason, because I know you have to go soon. But I, I, there was something that you said uh, as we were talking about, you know, the show and people saying, you know, first of all, I'm going to let you in a little something. People like it. You know how you know they're paying. <laughs> if they're paying on Patreon, they like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so I, my, my psychology says they're paying because they feel bad for me. They know I have a family. And I need no them one up. feels bad for you. You're a white man in America. No one feels bad for you at all. OK, they are paying. Yeah. No, listen, we are. We don't want any sympathy. None. They're paying because they like your show. There's no yeah. race. There's no creed. There's no color. It's you doing something people like. So right. what I am interested in, though, you're doing it on the corporate level for a decade plus. And on the corporate level, you talked about you were talking about Hannity and O'Reilly and Rush Limbaugh and how they can make it explosive. Isn't that all this is, right? Theater news. Isn't it really posed to divide us? In other words, that's it's not about there being mean or there's some secret plot, but isn't yeah. that just conflict is ratings? Well, it's the, the it's it's pretty simple in that media. How do you make money in media? It's always been mainly advertising and now increasingly it's subscriber based. But advertising for those guys that you mentioned and from all terrestrial radio, it's all advertising. There's no subscription. Sirius XM and HBO, you know, subscriptions and now Anybody can have their own independent outlet and, and monetize it using Patreon or other subscription services. 
Yep. But Hammond, those guys, it was in CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. That's advertising. They get paid by being on the cable right. network. They get what's called a carriage fee, and that's not nothing. It's a lot, hundreds of millions of dollars. But it's not nothing. They need to sell ads. Sell ads. They need to be interesting. And to be interesting, they need to cover things in a certain way. And yep. that's why they do what they do. And we can unpack why they say what they say and what they do. But you, to, the, the easiest and hackiest way to do that is to create an enemy and mm-hmm. to just unload on that enemy and warn your audience about that enemy all day, every day. And liberals have not been very good at that. Liberals have had success in political media through comedy. And that's where that's I in. Because, I, I mean, this is, my, this is a theory I have that I would love to get my master's, much less my bachelor's in. Yeah, well, uh, let's hear it. Basically about political media and why it succeeds. And conservative media succeeds for a completely different reason than liberal media, which is mostly failed in, in, when, it talks, when I'm talking about po- politics. Right. But the, the, you know, the, this most successful political media uh, that's liberal mm-hmm. is all the comedians, the, the Daily Show. The Colbert right. Report. Now Colbert's number one because he unloads on Trump every night. John Oliver, Bill Maher, uh, and the rest of us that are, you know, the 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 B list of that group, if you will. John Fugel saying Dino Badal. Just stop with the rest of us, Pete. Yeah, there you go. Okay, just the rest of us and the rest of us and myself included. There you and go. My, let's yeah. let's work on that. All so, right, go on. Humor and being entertaining while talking about these issues, you know, and, and, and humanizing people that, that are on your show and just be having a thoughtful, interesting and hopefully entertaining conversation about these issues. That's what I've been able to figure out. Well, it's what I love about it, like what we're able to do right here and have these conversations that people can go, oh, you know what? Now I know Pete a little better. I know Cliff a little better. I know Pete a little better. That was interesting. Yeah. I want to see more. I want to hear more. And it's what about me. Really Anybody do. want to know about me? Everybody wants to know about you. Where the hell you been? <laughs> That's what I thought. Sorry, I, I got to break in because we're we're getting close to time. And we went to the end of the show. Jesus, Pete, you you, you got everyone. You got to come back. Uh, this did. was great. Please. I love talking to you guys, and and I would yeah, love awesome. to hear your stories as well. It's uh, I don't mind talking about myself, but it sounds like you guys have had uh, some, some fascinating yeah. stories as well. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I love basically I, the the movie that you wrote, The Warrior, is like one of my all time favorite movies, and Entourage is one of my all time favorite TV shows. Thank you so much. I yeah, I, I watched that. every episode of that show, and I watched uh, The Warrior twice. Um, what do you see, my uh, Joel Egghart? That dude, oh, yeah, Joel not Tom Hardy, about him, but Joel Egghart, yeah. amazing. And the director, Gavin O'Connor, uh, I used to pal around with in New York City when he was a when I was a personal trainer. And he was a member at Equinox. Oh yeah, he was a member at Equinox for yeah, a while. He might still be. Dominic said hi. He'll remember me. Gavin's great. Yeah, no, Gavin. Uh, listen, that guy can direct, and, and when he gets the right Bad, piece of material. Dude. He is, he is, there's like no stopping him. Yeah. You know, when you look at it, he started the Americans. He started, well, anyway, I have to let you go. I'm sorry. Oh, real quick before, Pete, well, I don't want to let go quite. awesome. Pete, what? name of your show. Yes. Um, Stand up with Pete Dominic, available daily, wherever you get your podcast. Daily. Is it always daily or is it daily just right now? Or is it? Is it- I, I, no, I plan to do it the rest of my life every I day. Love <laughs> I love it. I love yes. doing it. I love doing it. It's a lot of work. It's a weird thing to be doing. I'm, I'm producing, editing. The entire show, it's just me, and I'm really proud of that. I mean, I bang it out every day, and I'm finding work-life balance. It's mostly work, but I'm finding the balance. And, um, you know, I, I have access to all these guests or people I know and know me, so I get great guests every day on the show. And you think about I, – I, I'll put mine – now, I wasn't promoting it that hardcore because I didn't think it was good. Now it's good, and hopefully it'll be great. But now – now it's it's like it's the the my show is rests on the strength of the guests and every day I have amazing guests and I talk to them in lo- long form. These are the same people you see on MSNBC, CNN, and the New York Times, The Atlantic, but they talk to me for twenty minutes to an hour. That's what I'm saying. And wait, where are you on social media, by the way? Where can everyone find you if they want to follow you? And oh, at Dane Cook for everything. <laughs> oh wait, did you say at Dane Cook? I'd like to help Dane out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Dane's the best. I love Dane Cook. Dane, did you hear that? Okay. It's at Pete Dominic. Everything's Pete Dominic. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Pete. Ladies and gentlemen, Pete Dominic. I watch, listen to him. Go on Patreon, pay some money. This guy is amazing. Jason? Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you so Thank much you for being, being here. here really. Look forward to seeing you again. We'll tell you some of our stories. Um, I look forward to hearing them, boys. I look forward to hanging out with you guys and seeing your entire bodies. Awesome. Let's do it. All right. <laughs>
Have a great one. Oh, no, wait. Sorry. Oh, yeah. He didn't take his shirt off, so we're not. I'll take right. my shirt off. Okay. I don't care. I don't... Oh, here he goes. <laughs> he took the shirt off. There it is. By the way, there that is, is no body fat. He's got less than 10% body fat. I'm really not None. happy about Boom. it. Look at that third shot. <laughs> That's amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, Pete Dominic. Pete Dominic. <laughs> that was amazing. Yes, that, that was, was amazing. amazing. Wait, so we now ran to 59 minutes and we can't talk about uh, we will do it. Here's what we'll do. I guarantee okay. you, we'll, we'll start tomorrow off. We'll we'll, we'll get into it because I watched both those episodes of I know, me our too. new watch you show. Them, right? Dirty. Yes, I did. I can't stop. It's Dirty John, right, we're gonna to Batty. We're gonna start so tomorrow good. talking about this, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. All right, so Pete Dominic, are we done? Right? We have like 20 more seconds. Uh, 20 more. Listen, seconds. that guy. Uh, again, I don't know. It's the guests we get. I feel very fortunate. We get to keep getting these people where we get into these conversations and I really don't realize that we're, we're done. Oh, I know. And, and it was such a good conversation. There was no way I was going to stop that. Um, but that's yeah, why we'll front load our, uh, we're a front load our conversation tomorrow just to make, or on our next episode. Okay. Uh, yes. On our next episode, Scott, we will, front, Scott, we will front load and we will start off talking about Dirty Betty. Do I get, am I getting that right? Dirty, dirty Betty? John season two, Betty. Oh, that's what it is. It's not Dirty Betty. It's Dirty John. Dirty season John. Two, Betty. All season right. Two. So until the next episode, stay safe, stay sane, uh, you know, be well, Jason Smith. Take care of each other. Love you yes. all. We'll see Love you tomorrow. You we will. We'll see you on the next episode. Quarantine. Yeah, y'all, it's quarantine. Quarantine. Ooh. Baby doll, it's quarantine. Oh, <clears throat> a podcast network.